0: So Regan, hear you once again with another episode of the Sausage Factory. Before we start, I'd just like to offer an apology. The original file, when we edited it, um, included me coughing quite violently with a nasty cold. Um, I thought I had muted my microphone, so I didn't think the coughing had been recorded. Turns out it was. I'd like to apologise to my listeners and Don Schaefer, of course, for subjecting you that and i'm very very sorry this is the new version of the recording which i've edited out my violent rather terrifying coughing and uh yeah so um yeah take it away again past me sorry this is episode 216 of the sausage factory in this episode i talked to john schaefer of conifer games about their 4x strategy game set in the dark ages called at the gates but before we delve into that let's talk about the other shows under the cane and rinse umbrella the first is kane rinse itself of course comes out every monday it's where they delve deep into a particular game where all of the hosts have played it to completion i know very strange It's a bit like a book club only for video games this week has been hitman 2016 That's the sort of reimagining of Hitman, a reboot, if you will. And then on Wednesdays we have Sound of Play, where we celebrate the soundtracks of video games we play, which we do on this show as well, not Satisfactory, where we, you've just heard, actually, uh, a snippet of music from At the Gates, because that's what we do on this show. Anyway, then finally on Thursdays we have Playwright, where we have two people called Ryan try to basically create a game pitch a game they come up with an idea of a game and then they try to create it see if it's actually viable it's fascinating it really is if you want to know more about cane and rinse and what we produce and what we write about you can pop along to cane It's also a forum there which is fully active i know in 2019 very strange but it is very much alive so do pop along and share your thoughts on things if you really like what we do please do uh, chuck us some coins via Patreon. If you chuck us $1 a month, you actually become a subscriber to our extra content. We have a monthly podcast uh, where the hosts, well, as so say, founders of Kane and Rinse, uh, Jay and Leon, talk about stuff relating to video games. It's fascinating. Then also have extended editions of Kane and Rinse because they're limited to two hours, but if you want to hear the full gamut of what people have to say about a particular game then you have to subscribe for only a dollar 70 pence uh, a week uh, yes a month sorry a week a month sorry I'm going crazy um, and finally a little bit of extra content we're doing not extra content but we are streaming and uh, we're slowly getting on Twitch and uh, speaking for myself every Sunday evening I'll be streaming a random game on a random platform Because that's what Canemons does. Canemons doesn't recognise any platform or or anything like that. It's just games are games regardless of where or when they were made. But enough of that. Let us delve deep into the full feature of this show where we chatting to John Schaefer about At The Gates. Take it away, past me. John, who are you and what do you do?
1: Yeah, uh, so I'm a game designer. Uh, I've been in the industry now since early 2005, so about 14 years, uh, actually just over 14 years now. Uh, I started at Firaxis uh, as a programming intern. Uh, prior to that, I was a beta tester and a community member in the civilization community, and that's kind of how I got started in the in the industry. I was working on SIFOR. Uh, I ended up uh, working on the Civ four expansions as a designer and then a co-lead designer and then I had the opportunity to be the lead designer on Civ Five and that, that role included almost all of the game design as well as um, all of the gameplay code and a good part of the AI code so that's that's kind of the old Sid Meier model going way back. Um, Since then, I've uh, worked at a couple other companies, Stardock and Paradox. Um, I started my own development studio, Conifer Games, in 2012, and have focused on working on innovative strategy games since then. So I just released At the Gates, which is a uh, 4X turn-based strategy game that's based on uh, the Dark Ages, where you're trying to build a kingdom following the Roman Empire uh, it's a game that focuses quite a bit on uh, resource management and character management and, and tries to change up the genre in some interesting ways. So it was uh, kind of intended as an experiment from the start. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a, a fairly brief summary of uh, who I am and kind of what I've done.
0: Yeah, you kind of stumbled into my second question, how did you make your start making video games? That's awesome. So many guests do that. It's almost as like if they're leering over my shoulder going, yeah, that's a good question. How did you make my start <laughs> Um, but I know you've been making games for a very, very, very long time, but can you remember your earliest sort of forays into the creation of games?
1: Hmm, yeah. Not as a uh,
0: career, as like, you know, how...
1: how yeah, just for fun, yeah. No, it's uh, it's something I've been doing, uh, boy, you know, as long as I can remember, at least until I was maybe seven or eight years old. Um, so my, my first experiences with games were uh, thanks to my parents, so um uh, my dad always was kind of a little bit of a amateur game developer he always kind of wanted to do it professionally but he ended up going the more safer corporate route um and my mom enjoyed playing uh, adventure games especially the Sierra games so they they kind of got me into the Hero's Quest now they later became Quest for Glory uh and then the King's Quest games um and then my dad like I said he was a programmer himself and he taught me to program when I was very young so I started making really simple games uh you know when i was when i was uh under the age of 10 i started making uh, um pokemon games of my own because i played pokemon and i said this is fun but i can do better you know as every nine-year-old does uh and then uh, i ended up um working on my own projects uh, beyond that so i made a simple little dragon ball z game that uh uh, in Visual Basic which is a language that's really not suited for making games especially games with graphics uh, and yeah it, it was something that I just kind of did for fun um, you know it, it didn't occur to me that that was kind of a strange hobby but it, it was just something I was interested in from a very very young age so I kind of knew what I wanted to be and what I was going to be really early on.
0: So you're over here in Europe now obviously does not where you originally came from by your accent, mm-hmm. uh, but you're living in Sweden, and um, just have to ask, you know, um, the heritage of video game development in both the continents is slightly different, as you know. So, what what do you make of of that heritage of that? So, because in Sweden there's a very strong Amiga community, for example. Do you know much about it? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you, what what is your thoughts on it? Because it's you, you, I suspect if you were European growing up, you would have been in your element.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's funny because game development has, uh, or the games industry generally is kind of consolidated to the point now where uh, you know a big game made in Stockholm uh, is a worldwide seller. You have something like Battlefield Five, which Indeed, you know, yeah. some some people know is made in Sweden, and yeah, most yeah. people don't. But it, it sells you know millions and millions like, of copies, and, and they and, used yeah. to make pinball games. <laughs> so you know what gives? You know, it's, yeah, it's no. Exactly. So things have things have kind of uh, coalesced in a way where you know everything has become globalized, I guess. And and certainly games are are a a very strong example of that. But yeah, going way back in the '90s and the '80s, uh, things were much more fragmented. Where it was, you know, what what hardware is available here? You know, what's being promoted by local stores? What can you can you actually get mailed to you? You know, what are the connectors on the on the hardware? You know, these are all things that used to matter quite a lot, and now now it's basically all irrelevant. But, no, it's, it's, it's super interesting because so many of these communities have kind of come up um, independently. Uh, I can see this very much in the uh, game development scene in Maryland, which is where Fraxis is based. Uh, that basically didn't exist um, until Sid Meier started making games, um, You know the the community north of Baltimore. um, You know south of Baltimore, there's uh, Bethesda, um, and they're obviously well known, and that kind of developed independently. But uh, MicroProse kind of split up and then turned into Firaxis and big huge games, and um, Zendimax Online uh, has made Elder Scrolls game, and that was made with a lot of developers that came from earlier studios in the area. So. You know, just on the, both the game's um, playing side as well as the game's development side, things have kind of developed in these little channels that, uh, you know, you you would never expect except for the fact that they, that they happened. And it's super interesting and super cool how so many areas have their own uh, historical flavor in that sense. It's, it's something I think we've kind of lost a little bit and given... You know how big games have become and the opportunities available both to developers and players i think it's it's a fine trade off but yeah it's it's a really interesting history and something that's worth looking into for uh, for anybody who's curious
0: yeah um it's just that kind of uh the sense of the things weren't as international as they are now. it sounds a bit strange, but things were really quite parochial thirty years ago, even then it was still relatively isolated people were working within their uh their own continents or own even known regions and it's uh, over the years you're right since the playstation i believe is when it became all rather homogenized uh, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. that's what that's what happened that's what whether you like it or loathe it the playstation did an amazing thing by actually going you know what let's just enough of this shenanigans
1: all this region stuff
0: <laughs> let's just bring it all together
1: <laughs> I think I think it's good in the long run, but yeah, you know, any change there there are pluses and minuses. So you know, some some things were lost, but I think we gained a lot as well.
0: So I think I know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because you've hinted at it a couple of times. But it is the one of the tougher questions. I did say it's going to get tougher as we go along. <laughs> um, what do you believe as creator is one of your biggest influences?
1: Hmm. I mean the, the the answer the answer to this is I guess pretty straightforward for me. I mean I I'm going to give the obvious answer and that that would be civilization. Yeah. Um, it it really uh shaped you know all the work that I've done um and and kind of just how I entered into gaming as a as a very important hobby. So prior to playing civilization 2 and and I think it was 2001 was the first time I played it. Um, you know, I, I played games, I played, uh, I had a Super Nintendo, and I played uh, games like Panzer General and that sort of thing. But it wasn't until I started playing Civilization that I really, really got into it to kind of the extent where my my hobby almost merged with my, my you know, work, in a sense. So I, I became a beta tester for Civilization, I became a beta tester for Paradox on Hearts of Iron. And, you know, when I was, 17, I basically wrote a good part of the first Hearts of Iron patch. So, you know, that's that's pretty big step from just, okay, you know, you play games. Um, But it it really started with civilization. And and the thing that captured me was the fact that there were different worlds to play on. It wasn't just fixed maps where you could kind of solve them like a puzzle. This this was my issue with uh, games like Panzer General. Uh, The enemy units were always in the same spot. You knew where they were. The cities were always in the same spot. You knew where they were, the forests, you know, and so on. So it it became a puzzle. You couldn't really replay it more than, you know, once or twice before you just kind of knew everything. But in civilization, because every map was random, every world was new, you, you learn the mechanics, but it didn't turn into a puzzle. The resources would be in different places. You'd be surrounded by different leaders. Uh, the strategies that you needed to employ were different every time. So it was it was something that was supremely it was like a breakthrough for me it, um, in a way that like it, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, my, my, my strongest passion in terms of game development is making maps. So the, the map generation system for epic gates is incredibly sophisticated and, and it's designed to, near basically the geography and climate of europe but in a completely different setup every time so there are land masses that are shaped kind of like the land masses in europe not you know specifically you know like oh there's the uk there's italy but you know the the you you see shapes that make sense. There are mountain ranges, there are, you know, small deserts, there are dry areas, there are steppes, there are large forests and rivers, you know, kind of what you expect from Europe. There's also um, a lot of uh, climate simulation, like I simulate rainfall and temperature and all these sorts of things. And this feeds into the season system, which is a really important uh, element, um, the gameplay navigates. So these all kind of tie back to the idea of having a really, interesting cool procedural map procedural world um and that that was kind of something that was sparked by playing civilization and saying oh wow there are games that build brand new worlds every time you don't just have to play the same map so that has always stuck with me from a you know the moment i played it and and very much defines how i see games now and, and specifically how i approach game development so um, I, I don't think I'm always going to stick with forest genre forever, but even um, after I move on, it's going to be something where I'm going to be thinking about procedural worlds and how that works, you know, basically until the end of my career, and that all stems back from playing Civ.
0: Yeah, I think um, it's a great response to say, you know, to experience worlds to 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 then influence them in some way, alter them in some way after delving into them, and, and it's one of the reasons one of my favourite parts of any 4 game is finding the world that you find yourself in, because you only got a little corner of it initially, and then as you sort of forage out, and I just love sending the settler out, or some sort of poor, almost defenseless person going, go on, just find a coastline, go on, just find something, no, oh, it's barbarians, oh dear, never mind. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's it's just that, that thing, and about at the gates... Um, for me, and I've read about this only about four or five years ago, I did not know this but maps were an incredibly powerful thing and very rare thing to have in those in that period It's um, and in fact it wasn't until like um, sort of like the 14, maybe 1300s earliest where maps were, were widely available typically there were are tightly controlled or indeed you know if they were they're almost considered to be too magical and because they actually plotted out the land around around, around the, the environs of the of the um, tribe that you existed in or lived in tribe clan call them what you will mm-hmm. and uh that's really well reflected in at the gates because it could be anywhere in in continental europe really doesn't really matter where. I mean, you've got the geography right. You know, settlements near rivers and valleys and that kind of thing. That's all. That's all correct. But you know, that doesn't really matter where it is because it because it, they're so parochial, they're so focused on tiny, tiny little plots of land uh, compared to what we have now, what we expect now. It's it's hard to imagine. So I, I th- for me, I just feel like you've kind of zoomed in a bit because you had to, and it doesn't matter. It could be, you know, a border between Italy and Spain, or or, or Switzerland, or, or it doesn't matter, or southern France, or northern Germany, it doesn't matter. Do, do, do you understand? I mean, I'm sure maybe it was your intent, but it definitely feels that that's what I'm playing. It. It's just a corner of Europe. You can't actually see where it is, but it genuinely is a corner of Europe. It's just really, really zoomed in, because, like I said, people didn't stray very far from their homesteads.
1: Yeah, it's it's a theme that really lends itself well to the 4x genre, um, and, and and that isn't super common in history. There there are a few points where it makes sense, at least in in Western history. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't delve into other uh, parts of history because I just don't know it as well. But um, in in terms of uh, Western civilization, um, I, I think there are three basic points where it kind of makes sense for you to have. You know, a a single settlement at the start, and then you grow and develop and learn new things and expand your kingdom or empire or whatever. Uh, And one of them is the beginning of civilization. uh, And there's obviously a game about that. Um, There's uh, another one about the colonization of the new world. um, And there's a game about that uh, that came out in, I think, 1994 and came out in 1991. Um, And then the fall of the Roman Empire and kind of the the development of a new Europe, um, kind of from scratch almost, um, you know, from from a high level historical perspective. Obviously, things were a little bit different on the ground. But, um, you know, in terms of like what we read about in books and empires and kings and, and, you know, the thing, the names that show up in history books, uh, it was kind of a reset. So uh, this was a period of history that hasn't really been covered much at all by strategy and, you know, other games really, but, uh, and definitely not by Forex. So it was an opportunity to kind of try something new. Like I, like I said earlier in the episode, um, uh, at the gates was intended as an experiment and that, and that kind of goes for the subject matter as well. I think, um, you know, I, it's a very interesting period to kind of poke at and dig into, and, and, and like you say, zoom in a little bit, uh, but it is also a bit of a risk. Um, you know, there's not a huge audience for playing games about uh, barbarians, uh, you know, unless you're playing Conan. <laughs> uh, that's that's about it. So uh, other than that, it, it is kind of new territory, and that's part of what makes it exciting, but also, you know, a risk. So th- the fact that it was basically just me as the only full-time developer made that more of a, a feasible, a feasible um possibility uh if, if it were a big team or a big studio or investment money or that sort of thing then it would have been much harder to say yeah let's take on this kind of weird little quirky period of history um and i think that's probably why we haven't really seen it it's just um you know i i think um you know covering all of human history you're gonna have a bigger audience than if you kind of focus in on some some germans <laughs> so
0: well it's you bad, know but it, you know it's spanned hundreds of years but um and it's it's quite extraordinary. If people say just just bracket under dark ages and move on. But we could delve into that further now. But we still got more questions in the first half, John. So <laughs> let's uh, let's do this, the the last two because there's only two left. And the last one's like you know, it's great. But so yes, <laughs> this next one is a tricky one. But I suspect I know what the answer is as well. Although you might come up with some weird left field stuff, which is not unlike you. So. <laughs> what developer do you most admire in the industry and why?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. Could um be a,
0: a studio rather than a person, by the way, so Yeah, yeah. Um
1: I think I think I would probably go with uh Derek Yu, who actually was the uh, designer and creator of Spelunky. And the reason why I, I pick him is because he I think invigorated the roguelike platformer space uh, with Spelunky in part in the same way that I, I think games like the, in the 4X genre are interesting. So there, there's a procedural randomized element to the world where you're, you're starting from something very simple, very basic, very predictable. Um, you kind of develop over time in terms of how your experience with the game and your skills uh, moving around inside the world. Uh, you kind of learn what items are available. You learn uh, kind of how the enemies work. You learn about how the levels are laid out. And you do this over time, and it's a very replayable game. Um, it's One of the things I respect about it is that it's so different from kind of the stuff I've worked on, but it uses very similar lessons. So a game like At the Gates, you sit there and you think really hard for a long time. A game like Spelunky, you... you don't do that at all but it uses a lot of the same tools in terms of procedural worlds and meaningful you know elements to the game so if you get the shotgun in spelunky it's going to completely change your game just as if you get a certain kind of resource and at the gates it can completely change your game so that is um i think that derek's work on that uh, especially coming from a place uh he was originally an artist um so i think he i think he is able to program as well but he, he kind of came from this this design uh challenge from a completely different perspective from uh where i've been uh so it, it's super interesting and super cool to kind of see different models for how games can be made uh, i think he might have made the original version of spelunky and game maker something like that you know something that uh you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, professional developers would laugh at and say, oh, game maker, you know, whatever, you can't you can't make a real game in that, of course not. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I might be getting exactly what he used wrong, but he, you know, he didn't use the Unreal Engine or program something from scratch, but he basically said, hey, we can, we can make a real, deep, meaningful game um, using, you know, kind of off-the-shelf tools, uh, but... Combine it with um, mechanics and and you know gameplay features that are super innovative and and pull off something that hasn't really been done before. And so I, I kind of took that as an inspiration. I think I think what he did with Spelunky was incredible. So um, you know I, I respect a great number of developers, but I, I think he's he's probably number one in my book.
0: <laughs> excellent excellent answer. It's an amazing game. You're right. Spelunky is. Extraordinary game, and whenever people say, oh, game maker, no one makes games in that. I always say the words, Hotline Miami, then they shut up. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah no there, there are so many examples now um, i think uh another another example was uh risk of rain which was uh yeah a, a hardcore little platformer um that was a lot of fun as well it was made i think by uh, a couple uh a couple younger people in game maker if i, if yeah. I recall correctly and yeah. it, that was a lot of fun and yeah you know it's you can't you can't uh you can't dismiss developers based on their tools and it's it's really nice to see uh some really strong examples of that um you know i think i think game designers can come from anywhere uh, i came out of the mod community so uh yeah it's, it's it's amazing to see people using the tools that, that are out there whatever they are to to make amazing games
0: yeah speaking of amazing games
1: you're gonna love this segue oh
0: damn it so now mm-hmm. i call it a segue it's not a segue anymore Anyway, so I have to legally ask you this because this is a podcast about video games. John, what are you playing right now? Uh, yeah, I'm
1: I'm I'm playing at the gates. That doesn't really oh,
0: count. No, it doesn't. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. You can't see it. It says, what are you play right now other than the game you've worked on?
1: <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count. It, doesn't, it definitely does not count. Although although it is fun. I still have well, fun playing it, which is crazy uh, after all this time. Um, I
0: don't know. I mean, I compare games like yours and and others, um, you know, board games. You and I love our board games too. And it's like when you played, you know, Terra Mystica for the, like, 20th time, you go, I think I like this game. I don't know. Maybe it's me. <laughs> so, yeah. So what what are you distracting yourself with?
1: I think the the one game I've been playing a little bit lately, um, I've been been playing off and on for years now, is uh, Binding of Isaac, which is kind of in the similar Spelunky realm where you have procedural worlds, it's difficult, uh, there's a lot to learn, there's a lot to do. Uh, and it's completely not strategy. Like there's, there's no time to think. So it's, it's all kind of muscle memory and, and practice and gaining experience. So it's, it's something that kind of scratches that same itch for what I'm really interested in, but without overlapping with the, the stuff that I'm working on. So, um, once I, once I get the first big patch out here for At the Gates, I'm, I'm planning on picking up dead cells, which is, in a similar vein to some of these other games. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. I've heard amazing things about it. Um, as soon as I heard about the game, I knew I was going to love it. So I kind of went into blackout mode. It's like when you see, when you hear about a movie that's going to come out and you're like, oh yeah, that's a movie for me. And You just ignore it. You know, you you, you avoid the trailers and the commercials and stuff. Uh, that's that's kind of like me with Dead Cells. So yeah, here in a here in a week or two, I'm going to start playing playing the crap out of that.
0: Good. It's a beautiful game. Um, it's an uh, animation. You, yeah, it's just incredible. The, the 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 pixel art isn't really pixel art. It's just strange, fluid, watery like art they've done. It's a beautiful game.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've I, I get so much into development that it's it's kind of hard to to disconnect and and jump back and forth. Because uh, if, if if I did and I start because the way I play games is. Um, I don't play very many games. I typically have one game at a time that I'm playing quite a lot. Um, so that for the last couple of years, that's been uh, Binding of Isaac off and on. Before that, it was Spelunky. Um, I've played a couple of the games in between, but those have kind of been the big ones in, in recent years. And I know that uh, if Dead Cells is as good as everybody says it is, and I expect it to be based on what I've heard. Um, I'm probably going to really get into it. I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to want to look things up and practice and, you know, okay, what, okay, I'm going to get it on this platform. I'm going to get it on this platform. I'm going to be thinking about it. And it's like, okay, well, that's going to get in the way of my work. So I, I should probably get the first patch out, <laughs> get that yeah, done. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I can, uh, I can, uh, d- dig into it properly.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, I've, um, going to go into war groove, I think. Because that uh, that game looks mm-hmm. awesome, so mm-hmm. it's just arrived. So I thought, hmm, I should I should investigate. <laughs> Advanced Wars, but not, but not. It's got little dogs in it. Apparently, the dogs when they get hurt, they don't actually get killed. They just run off. which is
1: perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. No, no one wants
0: to. It's one of the reasons I stopped playing uh, Fallout Four because the, mm. the dog was getting hurt. I know it can't, but I said, no, I can't deal with that. Sorry, <laughs> so I just stopped playing it. So I never went back to Fallout Four because the dog was getting hurt. How
1: weird am I? Probably not very. Um, <laughs> so well, it's, it's a better it's a better reason than me. I, I played Fallout Four and then it um, it killed my video card, so I couldn't run it anymore. I had I only had integrated graphics at that point, so that's that's why I stopped playing Fallout Four.
0: <laughs> I think I'll stick with my reason. <laughs>
1: I need so. to stop buying laptops. <laughs> yes, yes they die don't this is uh this is a public service announcement for everybody don't buy gaming laptops they're a scam uh, they die after like a year if you use them at all so nice. yeah just buy a desktop and a cheap laptop that's that's the John Schaefer advice for the day
0: yeah my 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 laptops are a macintosh because you can take a bullet and I travel a lot
1: Hmm. Yeah, I guess Macs are a little bit different. I've had a Mac for a while, but yeah, if if you buy a Windows gaming laptop, you're you're, yeah. you're, you're uh, unless your company or, or somebody else is buying it, um, yeah, <laughs> I would avoid it.
0: Yeah, it just does some weird stuff with heat exchanges, doesn't it? It's just like yeah. Yes. Whereas, um, no, I mean, my desktop you could fit a small family in it, but wow, it works, my friend. <laughs> so and has done for many many years. Yes. Um, and I know the CPU desperately needs upgrading, but you and I know doing that means reinstalling Windows. I don't want to do that. Anyway. Yeah.
1: (laughs) We I think we've got enough
0: topic. No, it's fine. We're going back on topic now because we're on to the second (laughs) half of the show. We delve deep into add the game.
1: are open let's
0: go open. so first thing i can't talk about this objectively until i ask you the zeroth question which is what is at the gates
1: yeah so i talked a little bit about it earlier but it is a forex strategy game um, with asymmetric and, and some world-like uh, elements and inspirations it's set in the dark ages you play as a a Germanic tribe trying to build a kingdom to replace the Roman Empire. Uh, You do standard 4X things like explore the map, harvest resources, um, fight each other, um, uh, develop your economy, do diplomacy, and um, yeah. Uh, So it it brings a couple uh, big innovations to the formula. Uh, First are seasons. Uh, Seasons, um, because the scope of the game is smaller, uh, we can represent time a little bit more uh, in, in detail. Uh, so summer is when you grow food and when you want to be fighting. Uh, winter uh, makes it, makes things harder generally. Uh, you, you, it's hard to find supply for your army, so you, you kind of have to be more cautious with how you move your armies around and uh, how you're harvesting resources. Um, so it, it really transforms the gameplay on a on a predictable cycle, which is something I wanted to explore with this game and, and something I think um, was, was, wasn't really possible in Civ because of the scope of the game, if, you're, if you have turns that are 50 years long, it's hard to represent things like seasons. Um, some of the other things that it does, uh, it has a, a pretty strong focus on character management. So in the game, you spend most of your time managing your clans, which are kind of like characters. Uh, a clan can be trained in a profession. Uh, this is how you do things. like you, you can train a clan as explorers, and they can uh, discover the map around you. You can train them as uh, harvesters uh, to go harvest resources. Uh, you can train them as blacksmiths, and they can refine, refine iron into tools, that sort of thing. Uh, they also have personalities. They have uh, personality traits that uh, di- dictate what they're good at and uh, also what they want to do. They can develop desires. They can get into feuds with one another. So there's a, there's a pretty strong character uh, management aspect to the game, and this is probably the biggest difference between uh, At The Gates and other Forex games. Um, there are other few other things. Uh, you only have one city, uh, you, and it's possible to move it around the map a little bit. Um, it can be a good idea, depending on the, the resources that are around, because uh, additionally, resources can run out in this game. So uh, it's a little bit different from uh, other 4X games. Um, but yeah, the, the idea was to kind of take um, the basic 4X formula and um, try out a, a lot of new ideas with it. So, um, you know, it, it was... Uh, like I said, an experiment, uh, it was originally never intended to be a professional game, but it kind of developed in that direction. Um, it was kind of the peak of the Kickstarter era. So it was like, Hey, I had this kind of weird little idea. I've been listening to, um, the history of Rome podcast. Um, this seems like a fun thing to play around with, um, have some cool ideas. Let's, uh, let's give it a shot. Let's, um, bring it to market basically. Um, build it out as a full game do a kickstarter campaign uh and uh hire some artists and see what we can do with it so that's that's kind of the uh the description of uh, at the gates
0: okay so as you likely say it's uh, set during the slow decline and collapse of the roman empire which happened over many hundreds of years not instantaneously <laughs> as, as it was a gradual decline and um The At the Gates is happening just at the last sort of trail ends of uh, the influence of the Roman Empire is is seceding and uh, is replaced by the Holy Roman Empire, which is a completely different thing altogether. But anyway, how has this setting, the theme, impacted the structure of At the Gates? It sounds like a glib statement, but if you get my... I hope you can understand what I'm getting at. How much... Has this theme really influenced the design of the game itself, do you believe? Have you ever sort of considered it much? It sounds like you have. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, One of the big challenges that I had with the game in the the first year and a half or so, I would say, of development was... Um, instilling the game with a sense of progression. This is, this is something that is super important, uh, in games generally, but especially in strategy games, because, uh, as, as you're enacting your strategies and making decisions, uh, generally, hopefully, um, decisions that aren't super easy and boring, uh, you, you want some kind of payoff for that. You want to see consequences and results that uh, either reward or, you know, reward good decisions and punish bad decisions. Um, but th- this was something that was uh, a little bit difficult in At the Gates because of the idea of playing as a as a migratory barbarian tribe. Basically, um, they weren't known for building lots of cities and roads and coliseums and infrastructure and building trade networks and all these sorts of things that are, are more accustomed to. To seeing uh, in other forex games, this is kind of the meat of the gameplay in in games like Civilization or Endless Space or Endless Legend or whatever. You know, you you, you build lots of cities, you build stuff in them, uh, and it's it's all kind of cool. But that that didn't work so much in At The Gates because that's not something that really fit the theme. I, it wouldn't have made sense to kind of just start building lots of cities and developing infrastructure in an era that uh, you know wasn't really known for that. That's that's not really what characterized um, this, this phase of uh, European history. So it, it, it was a game that um, had, a, had some trouble finding its legs for a while because, uh, yeah, it, it had those elements of the seasons and the depleting resources and moving it around the map. And, and it was fun for maybe an hour or so. But it didn't feel like you were going anywhere because you, you would exhaust all the resources in one spot. You would move somewhere else. And then it was like, OK, now you do it again. You kind of start over every time you move. So it was it was a situation where I I knew I needed to kind of switch up what the focus of the game was. And it was um, it was something that uh was inspired in large part by looking at a lot of other games like Crusader Kings and King of Dragon Pass and, and Colonization, where there was more of a focus on characters because characters are something that can exist basically anywhere and everywhere. You, you as a designer, you have more flexibility in terms of how you incorporate them into your game plan. Um, things like cities and buildings, you know, we we have very rigid expectations for how that sort of thing will work. Uh, but characters, you, you have more flexibility as a designer. So I said, okay, well, this is an opportunity to add a progression system that makes sense with theme, and also can be something that does develop and build up and and, and provide uh, rewards for making good decisions. So um, the theme was a very core to this, you know, um, important element of the game. Even though that element wasn't there from the very beginning, it was something that kind of. Came out of uh, play testing, where you know, again, um, after receiving feedback and playing it myself, I said, "Hey, we need more here. What works with the theme?" So the, the theme was pretty essential, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just the overall structure of like trying to replace the Roman Empire. I mean, there, there are two victory conditions: one is more military, one is more economic. Uh, but the idea is. Um, build up build up your kingdom um settle down in one place eventually and then uh replace the romans so um you know the the theme does um touch the game uh i think pretty strongly in terms of um how how uh, a strategy game works like strategy games tend to be a little bit more abstract in general i think than 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 a lot of other genres but uh in this one i i did try to um you know, lean in that direction as much as I could uh, when it made sense with the gameplay. You know, as a strategy game, the gameplay always needs to come first, but um, you know, the theme is important as well, so I I tried to find a good balance there.
0: I want to ask about the clans and the the idea that you are a initially pretty much a nomadic tribe that's born from the, the ruins of the Roman Empire. Um... How have you found um, designing a game that uh, says, you know, you can't expand and uh, conquer as much as you'd like in, in these games of this genre because you couldn't. You, the, 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 uh, you didn't have the manpower or the ability or the infrastructure to do such a thing because it's all been collapsed and gone away. All has remained as some roads that you can't remember who made them because it's so many hundreds of years ago the people who used to make and maintain them so it's kind of related to the first question but really how have you found working within that quite constrained model of a single settlement was it liberating or frustrating or a bit of both?
1: Uh, definitely a bit of both. Uh, like I said, it was it was something that uh, caused a lot of trouble for uh, the early phase of the project, uh, and it wasn't something that uh, ended up being solved until I basically introduced a brand new core to the game and that was the clan system once the clan system was in place then it, it really started to get interesting though and, and as a designer it's like okay well what can we do with these characters um you know they can they can have uh, disagreements with one another what can that look like okay they can uh have desires uh, based on what you're doing with them so if, if there's a clan that's uh you know doesn't like being cold (laughs) uh, then if you send them out in the map uh, when it's cold out that that can cause issues so it kind of provides a interesting strategic wrinkle where okay maybe you really need somebody to go out there and do something you know whether it's harvest food or or fight or explore or whatever Uh, but all you have is this clan that doesn't want to do it what do you do you know it's it's maybe a little bit uh, too much like management for some people (laughs) like actual real life management uh, where there are sometimes no Good decisions and just you know least bad decisions, but um, you know as long as they're not too painful, um, it's you know there there are different ways that you can use clans, lots of lots of ways, lots of different professions and roles. Um, so it was something that uh, became really fun to kind of think about how all these things could fit together. It was it was an, it's it's really a new frontier for strategy games in a lot of ways. Uh, we, we're seeing it more and more with games like Crusader Kings and games like XCOM, but. Um, you know, it's certainly not nearly as well established as, say, the, the traditional forex formula where, you know, basically all the games resemble Civ or Master of Orion to a greater or lesser extent, usually greater. Uh, or, you know, if you just look at the RTS space, you know, it's not very robust anymore, but, uh, Games are pretty similar to one another. If you look at uh, a lot of these old RTSs from the late '90s and early 2000s, they all kind of resemble Warcraft um, in, in some way or another. So there, there are, um, you know, tropes that uh, strategy games can kind of fall into, and I think characters are. Are an opportunity to kind of spice up a lot of these other genres that uh, we're seeing more and more. So I think I think that's that's a trend that's going to continue. And I, I think um, you know, At The Gates is my first shot at it, but I expect to continue doing uh, a lot more in that space.
0: Sticking with the clans, just one more time before uh, we, we reach out the, the last question. But it's a penultimate question. But technology, the tech tree is very innovative, and it's granted via by clans and the 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 encountering of them and the increasing number of your tribe by adding clans to your tribe assuming they want to join in the first place and so technology is sort of granted really kind of uh via convoluted route via clans and not really settlements or having lots of settlements because we've already established you only really have one can you explain how this developed I mean, you've already delved into that a little bit, but specifically the, the technology advancement stuff. Because rightly so, you have a limited time. Because eventually, you do hit, like you know, the 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 first millennia, don't we? And then when that happens, the Dark Ages is pretty much over, and we got something else happening. We're just moving into I can't remember what that stage is, but it's not it's not the Dark Ages. It's um it's it's another period in in, in European history. Um, but uh, yeah, tell us. How you manage to, again, you're working with very restrictive um, um, sort of barriers there or uh, environment, but you still managed to pull something off here. Can you tell us how the technology works
1: yeah so it was something that was actually really tricky. Um, and and I did end up having to make some compromises here to be to be honest. Um, so the original version of um, at the gates had a very basic technology system. there there wasn't much there. There were maybe ten technologies in total, and that, that wasn't really the the final intended design for it. That was just kind of what was in place at the time, and this was before the clans were introduced. Um, once clans were introduced and I knew that the the focus was going to be on the clans, I knew I had to change things up. Um, and it 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 is really tricky because this is definitely not an era known for its technological advancement and certainly not in the you know Western and northern Europe. Um, so I ended up going with a model where the the focus is again, on the clans and specifically what professions that they can be trained in. So that the technology tree, uh, as it were, is, is a tree of uh, professions in six different disciplines. So th- this is, again, very focused on the clans themselves. So um, examples of professions are like blacksmith uh, in the metalworking profession or explorer in the uh, discovery discipline. Um, uh, and this this was something that was kind of a necessity because uh, for, for a little while I tried to get away with uh, not having any sort of technology system at all because I, I said, well, you know, it's not something that fits the era uh, and fits the theme super well. So let, let's try to go without it. Like everything is accessible. You just have to you just have to you know, develop whatever to the extent that you can. Uh, you need the right resources or uh, you need, um, you know, to have uh, accumulated enough of certain clans or whatever. Um, but that really didn't work. It was, again, something where the lack of progression, the lack of uh, unlocking new things just made the game feel so much emptier. And, and I, I kind of got a new uh, sense of respect for kind of how research in the technology tree really serves as the backbone of uh, these, these 4X games. It kind of is an essential element, so, um, even, even if it's something that you kind of have to squeeze into the game a little bit. So um, I think rather than focusing on broad, you know, technological innovations, um, focusing on, um, kind of learning new professions that exist out there already, you know, like the Romans already know how to make concrete and build roads and, you know, harvest metals and stuff. Uh, so you're, you're not doing groundbreaking research here. Um, but it's, it's still like a progression of unlocks. Um, and specifically in terms of how the, the research system works, I didn't want it to be just another traditional tech tree. So um, it, it works in more of a, an approach where you have different tiers of technology. So um, you, you might have uh, four or five technologies in a particular row. And if you research any of the technologies in that row, you can then progress to the next row. So I wanted there to be a lot of flexibility in terms of how you can progress through the tech tree because this is something that's um, – you know, other forex games and in particular games like Civ are pretty notorious for where you know, developing a, a pretty fixed, um, build order or research order is, is pretty commonplace and accepted. Uh, and I don't think that's very interesting uh, either as a player or as a designer. Um, so I wanted there to be more incentive to kind of have the flexibility to go through the tech tree in, in different ways. So that, that was something where I knew I needed to change the mechanics in order to allow for that. Um, and this also ties in with the, the more asymmetrical nature of the game. So the, the clans that you that join you, uh, as well as um, where you start in the world and kind of the effects of the climate on you. Uh, if you start in the far north, obviously that's going to be a different game from the far south, um, you know, in terms of like European perspective. Um, and, and what resources are available? Um, so if you have horses nearby, but uh, no wheat, that's going to completely change what you want to research and what you want to train your clans as. So, I wanted there to be a lot of flexibility in terms of how you could switch up your strategies from game to game. Um, that's, it's gonna be something that, um, puts some people off. Some people really like kind of that predictability and that, uh, uh, the ability to kind of zone out a little bit when playing a Forex game and just, you know, click, okay, build this here, okay, move here, okay, whatever, and turn, and turn. Uh, oh, where was that guy? At, the, it's fine. You know, at the gates is very much a different game where, you know, coming up with strategies and optimizing thinking hard about how you want to use your clans is very important. So the the tech tree kind of supports that in a way. So um, it was something that developed quite a lot over time. Uh, again, like I said, it wasn't something that was really even in the game at all for, um, for a lengthy period of time. And it was something where I kind of had to relearn the lesson of why that was so important. And even if it wasn't, um, you know, you don't think of uh, technological research as something defining this era. It was something that was such a necessity. I, I had to find a way to get it in there. Uh, and I, I think it worked out pretty well. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty enormous tree and it's pretty complex. Uh, you know, the number of choices you have grows very quickly. Um, and that will be intimidating for for some players, but uh, if you're if you're a veteran of strategy and X, it's it's kind of aimed at at that kind of player where they say, hey, you know, I like these sorts of games, but I kind of want something new, something a little bit more. Um, that's that's kind of what Epic was aimed to uh, achieve.
0: You have to rediscover crop rotation somehow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's like one of the very few things that was on like the list of 10 things that i had at the beginning it's like okay what do we got like um we got crop rotation we got like <laughs> uh we got stirrups yeah. um rose, steel? steel
0: um rose. yeah yeah it's, yeah it starts. Crop, to, um, yeah, but
1: it starts crop to, rotation is always like the first uh, one. It's that the first so one, fun. The first one, isn't it? It's the first. One. <laughs> it's, that's Basic okay. We medieval technologies. Yeah. What do we got? Okay, we got crop rotation. <laughs> well, okay, what's number two? Uh.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, the last question. Then, last question. Uh, all good things come to an end. So. And it's a bit of a spoiler, but you can't really spoil 4X games, although you can. You could argue, but it's a good thing to aim for when you're playing at the gates. Everyone, when you, those who are listening, at the latter part of the of a game session, one player can actually establish a kingdom, no less. How does this change the dynamic of at the gates? Do you believe? And was it always there? I was assuming it was.
1: <laughs> it was not actually. This is another thing. This is <clears throat> now. there's. there's there's so many. There's so many stories about the development of this game. Honestly, um, you know, maybe it was a little bit too experimental. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, this this was another uh, element that was added a little bit later to kind of add a sense of progression and uh, um, development to the game because. Uh, even after all these other elements were added, like the, the, the research system and the clans uh, and they can level up and gain new professions and new abilities and all these sorts of things, it still it, it, it felt a little bit weird to always be moving around uh, from start to finish. Um, it, it was something that was fun in the early game, and it was fun for a while, but you know, it's something that doesn't work as well once you're 200 or 300 turns into the game. So I wanted there to be kind of a shift in how the game felt and worked. Um, and something that made a lot of sense was you start off as this, this migratory tribe, um, but then part of the story of the game, part of your story playing this game is settling down in one place and saying, okay, we've we've been wandering in in the wilderness, but this is where we're going to stay. This is where we're going to establish our kingdom. Um, And this was something that, um, you know, there are gameplay bonuses for doing so, um, but in large part is a way for the player themselves to say, like, this is where I'm going to invest. Like, it's kind of like a mental shift uh, in terms of how the player wants to approach the game. Uh, And and it gives you a uh, boost to fame, which increases the number of clans that will show up and increases the size of your borders. It also fixes your settlement in place, so you're not going to be going anywhere. Um, so these are bonuses that from a a gameplay perspective can be very useful, especially in the mid game when, um, you, you kind of want to be able to reach new resources, but you've run out of ways of doing that and you want more clans, but you've kind of, you know, run out of ways of doing that. And it's, it's a good way to kind of inject some new momentum in your, uh, in your, your now kingdom. (laughs) Um, but it was also uh, added to the game to kind of add, um, a mental, um progression marker to say okay this is this is uh we're entering a new phase of the game this is we're no longer wandering around we no longer want to um just uh harvest resources until they're completely depleted we're going to build stone structures that will last forever we're going to kind of build something permanent here we're we're no longer the Franks we're we are now building France um so that that's kind of how um that uh, developed in the game but that that wasn't something that was there until maybe uh nine or 12 months uh, before we uh, finally finished the game. And, and given uh, how long the game was in development, that, uh, that's pretty close to the end. So it, it was something that, um, you know, was one of the last few things to uh, make it into the game and, and try to round out that sense of uh, progression and that framing of uh, the game you know, experience in general. So there were a lot of pieces together and it was, it was time to kind of tie them together in some way.
0: Gave the player a sense of uh, achievement. They're like, oh, look! Haven't been wiped out by snow and rabies and all sorts of horrible things. I've managed to establish a kingdom. Go me! <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, the, great, the you know. uh, yeah, the art changes and uh, you know your borders get much bigger. And there's a you know there's a little reward screen with some music and stuff as well. So we we try to highlight it in 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 a way as well. But uh, yeah, you know this is something that that comes up sometimes. But um, you know there's there's a there's a hardcore contingent of strategy game fans that. Uh, claim you know the, what the game looks like doesn't matter at all but um, as a designer I, I definitely disagree with that i think uh, even for the most hardcore player if you were playing um you know something that looks like civilization 5 or 6 versus something that's in ascii art uh the game just feels different it, it, it feels different um regardless of how much you are into the rules and mechanics so i i'm the kind of player who had excel spreadsheets where i was tracking individual workers and what turns they would finish so that new population point that turn could start working the mine. so I've, I've gotten really really deep into the the you know the crunchy mechanics and the numbers and stuff mm-hmm. um but while while i was uh, working on sip five and you know something that was really profound uh and and was a very strong lesson for me was that uh um, we were prototyping a lot of the new gameplay rules in the Sid 4 engine, um, and then uh, separate from that, um, the engine team was working on a new, you know, new engine for the uh, for Sid 5 uh, to make it look new and cool. Um, and then there was a there was a point at which we said, okay, it's time to take the gameplay stuff that we've been doing in the Sid 4 code base and bring it over to the new engine it's time to combine the two and the game felt so much different even though literally the day before the rules were identical but it looked like civ 4 and then the next day it looked like civ 5 and it felt completely different and everybody agreed with this and it was such a strange thing uh, for me as a strategy game designer because i was kind of more in that mindset of Well, it's a strategy game. The thing that matters are the rules and the mechanics. Uh, But ever since that point, um, I've I've, I've had a a much greater respect for how important just the the whole aesthetic and the feel and the music and the sound and uh, what you choose to highlight and uh, what you what you choose not to uh, as a designer. I think I think it's really important. And uh, even in a strategy game, things like the art uh, matters quite a lot.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate the inclusion of it. That's why I going to talk to you about it because just that little thing, you may think it's benign, you may think even to the point of this doesn't really matter, but it did, and it does because you are leading to a point. It's otherwise you're just training off because one of the greatest, uh, I don't know, I'm telling you something you already definitely know is the one of the greatest struggles with the uh, forex games is the mid-game. It's that point where you reach the top of the bell curve and go, well, what, what now then? I've reached a nice sort of set of balance, so I have no real threats around me, kind of. I've uh, just got to, I don't know, I've established contacts with various people around me. Now what? You know, and it's its its tricky. Uh, but uh, when you put this in, it's, it's, just, it's just such a great idea. So well done to you and your team. So, <laughs> at the gates is out now. It's Windows PC, is that right? Yes, uh, Windows and Linux and Mac. There you go, all three. All the glorious three and john spent excellent having you on i hope you enjoyed yourself
1: thank you no it's 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 ton of fun especially to be able to talk a little bit more about the uh, game development the game design side so hopefully uh, i don't i don't go on for too long but uh, yeah I, I love to talk and talk and business <laughs>
0: yeah the the, the 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 questions have been designed in such a way to let you just expand I was just sort of like dangling little carrots like oh what about this bit oh that's a good point let's just bang on about this for a bit this is the premise of the show people need to know what's going on underneath the hood well they don't need to but they want to know what's going on and uh now we know a little bit about at the gates and how it came to be so John thank you very much for your time
1: my pleasure thank you so much Chris